Hey, this is Dan, just dropping you a quick line before you start this episode to let you know a couple of things. What you're about to listen to is one of the classic best of episodes of Assorted Goods in its older format. And by older format, I mean the sandbox and completely disorganized style that Assorted Goods was for its first few years of existence. Now, since then, the feed has been cleaned up and there's 12 of these classic episodes. And you should know, if you're a new listener, that these episodes are not really what the show is now. But they're still good and they're still worth listening to. But just be warned that if you're looking to get into assorted goods as it is now, that you probably want to go to the latest episode in your feed. Start listening from there. Throughout the episode, you might hear certain things get mentioned, like the website or the social media. Now, those have changed. So don't go chasing those websites or links after the episode. Go to these ones instead. The website has now disinformed.ca, CA for, you know, Canadians like me. And that's where you can find all the assorted good stuff that is mentioned in these episodes. You can find the source lists and additional information. They have all moved to there. In terms of emailing, you can email me now with the new email, dan at disinformed.ca. And if you want to follow on social media, Twitter and Instagram, the new handles are at disinformeddan. And hey, look, all three of those are kind of similar with each other, creating some sort of uh, continuity. People tell me that's important. But anyways, whether you're a new listener or a returning listener, I hope you enjoy this classic episode of Assorted Goods. And then I hope you subscribe to the show and come along for the ride with the new episodes as well. And as always, thank you for listening and enjoy. There's always been something about the way that time works that, well, kind of weirds me out. The way it sometimes seems to blow by, like when you've got a long weekend and then bam, suddenly you're back at work again. How does that always happen? Other times, it seems to move at a crawl, like whenever you get stuck waiting in a line, for example. And yeah, we know we can measure time, count it out and all that. And if you watch a clock, go tick, 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 like that you do get a sense of its actual movement. But if you're not literally watching time pass, you can never really know at what speed it's moving. It's a trip, man. At some point during this pandemic, I'm sure we've all experienced some varieties in the way time seems to pass by. I remember way back in March, everything was starting to spin out of control. Days felt like weeks, weeks like months. And then as things began to settle into a new normal, the days seemed to speed up again. Being stuck at home turned days into blurs of mindless repetition. Tell me if any of that sounds familiar. Time seems to work in mysterious ways. So, what is it? I mean, what actually is time? It's not tangible, is it? Yeah, we have ways we can measure it, sure, but we can't actually see or dissect time, right? And why does it seem to move in different ways and do all those weird things it does? This episode, let's explore something that is so basic to our experience in life and dive into figuring out time and how it all works.
Hey, what's going on, folks? This is Assorted Goods. Welcome, and thank you for stopping by. Hope you're all doing well out there, staying safe and healthy and relatively sane. I'm Dan, your host for this podcasting journey to learn a little more about the world. And this episode is straying into a topic that is a bit, well, out there. Sounds like a crazy idea, sure. And it's definitely as half-baked as it sounds. But time really does fascinate the hell out of me. Wondering about it is something I've done numerous, uh, times. So, we're going to try to figure out time. What it is. How it works. That's even a question we can answer. But also what it means. And hopefully, we're going to get something out of this that goes beyond the whoa dude level of things. All right? You in? I hope so. In that case, let's just dive in. Because, well, as we all know, time is marching on. taking long car rides when you were young? Do you remember how long they felt? And when you have a long trip now, how does it feel comparatively? Not as bad, right? How come the older you get, the faster the days, weeks, and months seem to blow by? Why does boredom seem to make minutes turn into hours? And why does having a good time actually seem to make time fly? How often do you wonder about something that is time-related? end up reacting the same way that we probably always do. You know, you just kind of shrug and think, I don't know, it's crazy, huh? And that's just the thing. Time is so elemental to our lives that to think about it deeply kind of isn't worth it. But there's so much evidence of how much we do think about it in our daily lives, and even in our culture, our art, music, TV, and movies. Time may be hard to comprehend, but we clearly do think about it one way or another. Nevertheless, we can't stop or change its inevitable march forward. It simply is what it is to most of us. We use clocks to literally measure time. A second is a second, apparently. But yet, it never seems to be that simple. Our actual real-life experience feels inconsistent with how time is seemingly supposed to work. Look, I could probably fill the entire episode with me rattling off questions about time and why this and that seem like whatever, and so on. But thinking about time is just something that my mind has drifted to a bunch when I'm staring off into space. Space. Space is crazy too, man. And space has its role to play in how time works, but... Okay, we'll get to that. All in good time. Alright, I promise I'll keep the time puns to a minimum. This is a strange, big, vague topic that it's hard to know how to approach it, really. So, let me try to lay out some plans here. Over the course of this episode, I want us to try to wrap our heads around a few simple ideas, with tons of tangents sprinkled in because, you know, that's how my brain tends to spill out into these episodes. But together, let's try to figure out what exactly is time, and how does it work? Why does it seem to change speeds on us depending on certain scenarios and at different times in our lives? What role does time play in our lives as well? 
And has that role changed over history? There's really a lot of questions you can ask when you get into this topic. So really, let's just follow the research down whatever rabbit holes come our way. So okay, let's try to start with the basics here and ask the most basic starting question. What is time? I mean, let me ask you off the bat here. What do you think time is? Like, actually try to wrap your head around the concept. Yeah, I know. It's like I just asked you to draw me a picture of air. It's kind of hard to imagine something that doesn't physically, tangibly exist that we can picture. Now, I thought about this question too, and I wanted to write my answer out before I did all the research. And the answer I came up with first was that time would have to be some sort of measured change of things, I think. And real smart, by the way, eh? But okay, like whenever you see a movie or something where time pauses, how is it always represented? Well, it's usually by everything freezing in exact place. And then there's like the one character that isn't frozen in time, they get to do whatever, you know, like use their superpowers or something, but nothing moves. The whole universe seems to become motionless. So to me, it would seem that time would be the progression of the physical world from one moment to the next. Make sense? Like, if nothing ever moved or changed, then how would we know that anything is happening at all? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm already getting into the stoner-style questions. Now here's where the research starts to come in, thankfully. Apparently, thinking about time this way, the way I just said there, would actually make me something called a relationalist which is pretty much that idea, that time only exists because it measures the changes that occur in the physical world. So I apparently was on to some sort of philosophy and I didn't even know it. Aristotle suggested this idea of time, which is also known as reductionism. So basically, I'm as smart as Aristotle. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, really. It's very kind. Feel free to ask me any philosophical questions you have. But there's also the idea that time exists on its own, independent of anything physical. Isaac Newton's theories were more along these lines in a philosophy called substantivalism. That's a mouthful, I know. It was also known as Platonism, a much easier name to say. Well, kind of. And yes, that was Plato's jam. Get lost, Plato. I'm an Aristotle guy now. But that idea centers around the fact that even if everything was motionless, or if there was nothing physical at all, time would still move forward as it always has. And both of these ideas seem to make sense in their own ways. I mean, you could have a room of nothing but motionless objects. Doesn't mean that time is frozen there. But on the flip side, you can't move anything physical without time passing, right? Think about it. Whenever we talk about how fast something is moving, what do we say? Blah, 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 meters, kilometers, miles per second, minute, hour. There's always that measurement of time involved. Now let me just point out that discussing the concept of time delves into some really advanced and complicated branches of physics. And big surprise, I am not a physicist. So don't sweat it. We're not going to get into a mind-numbing and confusing lecture about all that. I can be plenty mind-numbing and confusing on my own, thank you very much. But there are more concepts of how time works that we can gloss over here, such as the idea of eternalism, which is that the past, present, and future all exist and are all equally important. On the other hand of that is presentism, which puts forward the idea that only the present matters and the past and future are just variations on that present. 
Then there's the more metaphysical ideas of A-series and B-series time, which, as I understand it, and I barely do, but hey, we're both here giving it a shot, right? But the difference between the two here is whether or not events are related in time by their tense. With the A-series, you could refer to an event as happening today, yesterday, or tomorrow, and those are all in relation to a point in time. As in, you would say something is yesterday if you are living in today. Now, you're using past tense or present tense. So yeah, it really does seem to be a little bit language-based, this one. But then there's the B-series, which is kind of without the tenses. So say an event would happen on November 3rd, and other events could only be preceding that moment or proceeding it. Confused? I know I was. But a simple thing to consider is how much of this is based on perspective. That's kind of the word of the moment here. Now there are shared links here too. A-series thinking actually goes along with presentism, where the thought is that events are related to the perspective of where they take place. And B-series is related to eternalism, that things happen when they happen and are fixed, and that's how it all works. Now, the ideas of A-series and B-series were actually the theories about a century ago, and now have sort of evolved into presentism and eternalism. But as a branch off of eternalism, there's then an idea called the growing block universe. Ooh, sounds kind of big and crazy, right? But this is a bit of a hybrid. Eternalism states that the future is already out there, bringing up the old idea that the future is already laid out for us. We just don't know it yet. But the growing block universe idea eliminates that notion of an existing future and goes with the idea that the past is as relevant as the present because those two are irreversibly linked and the future is just a big, wide-open space. Woo! Anything is possible! So it seems. Now, just to add to the confusion... The growing block theory is different from another concept just called block theory, without the growing part. Since in the, I guess, regular block theory, the future is back in play again, and exists as much as past and present. So basically, alright, there are all these variations of a few relatively straightforward ideas. Straightforward? What the hell are you talking about, Dan? Well, it seems to boil down to the roles the past, present, and future play. Also remember here, though, that we're talking about the different concepts that physicists and, you know, actual smart people play around with in terms of their ideas of what time is and how it works. To people just like you and me, the past is really the most important one, because it seems as real as anything. We have our memories to recall moments that have happened to us, friends who can back up our stories. Nowadays, so many people have a bajillion photos to document everything they've gone and done. The past is absolutely real. Or is it, man? Whoa. But really, it has to be. It's how we got here. You pressed play on this episode. Thanks, by the way. And I've been talking for, well, what, 14, 15 minutes here? And here we are, right now. The present, oh, for sure, that's real. It's what we're experiencing our entire lives all the time, one moment after the next, always changing. The future, though, it's the one thing that is unknowable. I know I've been nervous for a long time about the American election, for example, because so many people were unsure of what would happen afterwards. The future suddenly seems really uncertain. A good TV show keeps us in its grip because we don't know what will happen next. Curiosity about the future seems to be a driving force in our lives. It's the basis for a lot of our belief systems, 
for a lot of our own motivations and philosophies in life. So maybe it's really not surprising that theories of time wonder about the future a little bit more than the past and present, because it's the most unknowable piece of it all. It's good for hypothesizing and coming up with crazy ideas. Lucky, smart people knowing how to do that. Now, just on the topic of the idea of the future, there's also a concept of fatalism. Just tossing in one more theory for the hell of it, I know. But this is a more philosophical approach to these ideas. But this again relates to the idea of the future, and whether events are predetermined or unknown. Fatalism touches on the idea that you can make a suggestion about everything that will happen, and then those suggestions will either be true or false. No shit, eh? But by that line of thinking, there should then be some set of suggestions or predictions that actually will accurately predict the future, and those would all then be proven to be true. Therefore, the future is, in fact, predetermined because somewhere there's a correct set of circumstances that will prove to be true, thus predicting the future. I guess knowing which ones are the right ones is the tricky part, though. Now, this one seems a bit far-fetched to me. A bit? I mean, sure. If I can predict everything accurately, I guess I can see the future. But is that because I see the future or because I'm incredibly lucky? Now, if I went and won the lottery, was I a future teller or just someone who got lucky? I guess in that case, you'd probably have to keep winning the lottery over and over again to say you have some sort of fortune-telling superpowers, right? But okay, did we answer the question we started with there? What is time? Not really. I mean, those theories were all about time in relation to uh, space and perspective and all that, and how to sort of think about time's progression, I guess. But what is time itself? Let's maybe keep it simple for a moment again. If you Google the word time and go to its Wikipedia page, the first sentence on that page reads, quote, Time is the indefinite continued progress of existence and events that occur in an apparently irreversible succession from the past through the present into the future. Sounds kind of legit, doesn't it? And is the right level of simple for me in this podcast. And really, every one of us lives in that exact experience. We are absolutely sure about the present, what's happening right now. At this exact second of the podcast, I'm reading this exact sentence. You've heard other words and sounds already, and those are in the past. And there's a whole lot more words and sounds coming your way in the near future. Past, present, future. The three stages of time as we know it, or more so, as we experience it. And of course, we know the rules. There's no going back. No unhearing the first 17 and a half minutes of this episode. It's too bad for you. And there's no jumping into the future either. Well, except this podcast has been recorded. So actually, in this case, you can jump forward in time. Please don't. Or do. You know, whatever. I'm not the boss of you. But also, isn't it kind of crazy? Like, you're hearing these words right now, but I recorded them in the past. So it's like present and past at the same time. Whoa. All right. I Okay. Yeah, I know. I'll, I'll stop doing the stoner guy thing. That was more in my early 20s. And maybe occasionally here in my later 20s. But anyways, we all experience time as exactly what we have in front of us right now. And then poof, it's gone. And on and on and on and on and on, just like that. This is what's referred to in physics as the arrow of time. Ooh, 
Sounds like a sci-fi book. And yeah, speaking of sci-fi theories, we hypothesize on the ideas of time travel and time manipulation. But as far as we know, to this point, there is only the now, the then, and the still to come. Time continues to move straight forward the way it always has. So for one, the answer appears to be we don't really know what time is, not concretely, not on its own at least. Theories of time always involve something else, most often space or the physical world, which is where our old homeboy Einstein comes by and lends a hand with the ideas of space-time, which is the more concrete idea that space and time are in fact interconnected. Now this all gets into the concepts of relativity and Einstein's theory of general relativity. And yeah, again, I know, don't worry can't dive into the specifics because, well, you know. Actually, I took a couple of physics courses when I was in university, and man, did I have a hard time keeping up in those classes. Researching this episode gave me a few flashbacks to sitting and staring at notes and wondering what the hell I was reading. But hey, I'm older and wiser now, I think. Okay, so anyways, those theories we ran through there about time, one of the key points we touched on was that their ideas all seem to be in relation to something physical. I know, I've said that, I'm just trying to keep us consistent here. But that's because time really is linked with the physical world. And this is what Einstein was all about with the whole general relativity stuff. Einstein believed that time and space were not only linked, but actually intertwined with each other to create space-time. I appreciate the simplicity of the name, actually. But space-time is just that. It's like the scaffolding of the world we live in, and the universe at large. It's considered in physics to be the fourth dimension. So we have our three-dimensional world, and then an added dimension of time to make it all work, apparently. Time, in reality, is not just some simple constant thing that always was there and doesn't change. Take that, substantivalism slash Platonism. Psh, Plato. What'd he ever give to the world, except for that doughy stuff that kids play with? Now, general relativity does make the claim that time is affected by the physical world, and that when and where, are really part of the same fabric of the universe. Whoa, now we're getting somewhere. But yeah, again, we measure how things move by how? Speed, which is represented by a distance, space, over a period of time. Ah, okay, yeah, there's a little something to that there. And I do feel validated by my earlier prediction. Time really does require the physical world to change and move, doesn't it? All right, obviously I haven't outsmarted some of the world's greatest minds, but it's nice to at least feel like I'm a smart guy for a moment. Some things to consider here, though, as we still try to figure out what time is together. But time does take into account multiple things. The physical world, of course, and also, as those earlier theories mentioned as well, but perspective matters as well. A person or an object's place in the physical world can influence its experience of time, both through its own view of the world, but also literally. As it turns out, time really does change. It dilates or contracts, apparently, according to a couple of things. One being the speed at which the object or person is moving, and also its proximity to a gravitational force. Now get this. Experiments have been done with atomic clocks, basically clocks that are synced up so precisely they're on the same page down to like a molecular level. And then these clocks have been flown around the world, taken to higher and lower altitudes, and then checked again to see if there are differences. 
And in fact, there are. If you were to go and stand on the top of Mount Everest, as it turns out, you'd be living ever so slightly faster than people down at sea level. So hey, if you're sick of 2020, just climb to the highest place you can find and you'll be out of this crappy year very slightly sooner. And the same sort of principle works for speed. When you get up and you start to move, it turns out that time at the very, very tiniest level starts to slow down as well. If you move faster, that effect continues. So much of these ideas that time is affected by the speed at which an object moves or the difference in gravitational force, all of that's outlined in general relativity, which I'm sure I would know if I ever had read general relativity. But Einstein figured this all out, and he changed the ideas of space and time, which before his theories were often considered to be separate things. Objects move through space a long time, but Einstein made the connection that the two relied on each other. Okay, now here's me attempting to explain something complicated. Take the speed of light. It's the limit that anything in the universe can move, from solid matter to light and radio waves. Nothing goes past that speed. Except me, when I see some Chips Ahoy chocolate chip cookies. Then you'll really see something move. But if you simply exist in space, say, sitting still on a lazy Saturday listening to podcasts, then you are at the base level of time's passage. But if you start to move through space, and you went faster and faster, the increasing speed of your movement, up to the limit of the speed of light, will draw from the passage of time. Some of that expendable limit gets diverted for your movement. Now I know, that sounds complicated, and that's because it is. Basically, the faster you move through space, the slower time will begin to move. Because you've allocated some of that maximum available limit for your movement through space rather than time. Remember, the two of them are intertwined. The reason for this is that nothing can move faster than the speed of light. So in order to counterbalance an object's speed, so as not to allow the speed of light to be exceeded, time slows down in order to keep that speed of light how it should be. Physics, eh? Yeah, this is about as in-depth as I think I'm going to be able to get for you. And if you want more information that goes further, I'm sure there are experts you can consult and great in-depth shows out there that you can listen to. Man, I hope you enjoy them. But it does make a little more sense now, right? Hey, don't worry, I'm still a little foggy with it too, but I hope I did an alright job of explaining all that. Essentially what this means, though, is that time really is relative to perspective, the speed of movement. It's not actually constant and normal. It can change. Theoretically speaking, if you could travel at the speed of light, you would then have used all the available limit of space-time, up to the speed of light, that is, and then you would experience a freeze in time, which, to me, again suggests that time really is the measured change of all things. Woohoo! Right again. But this is a crazy thought, because it does seem to suggest that time is malleable. It can bend and slow and speed up, and that our experience of time and our lives here is based on the fact that in reality, we have limits to our own capabilities. Like, we can't really travel that fast at all. I mean, if you get into a jet and hit like Mach 3 and break the sound barrier, for one, that takes training in order to not black out when your brain gets turned into mush by the force, but also, it's still only a fraction of the speed of light. Meaning, at the super tiny atomic level, the clocks may vary based on conditions, but in actuality, we haven't really experienced a real serious difference in time. But 
does also mean that maybe we're not all so crazy when we think sometimes it speeds up and it slows down on us. Now, a couple of points here. One, those atomic differences in clocks? Irrelevant to us in our lives, maybe, but it's actually extremely important for some of our technology. GPS systems and timekeeping across the globe need to be able to account for those tiny little differences. Otherwise, GPS systems wouldn't be able to function the way they do. Our understanding of the differences in time down to the tiniest fraction of a second are what allow us to have such coordinated systems of technology across the world. Thanks, Einstein. No, seriously, thanks, Einstein. Because, yeah, those differences are really almost unimaginably small, but across the globe, with massively interconnected and complex systems like GPS that rely on dead-on accuracy, those tiny differences in a time well, they would add up really quickly and throw things out of whack. Suddenly, your GPS systems would be way off. Coordinated scheduling for things like airports would suddenly be off as well. Madness would ensue. But there's something far more interesting here, which is the fact that time is in fact not constant. I gotta come back to this again. We're not crazy experiencing different speeds. It really does change. So does that mean if I'm running, time is slowing down? Or whether I'm sitting still, it's suddenly at its base rate? Well, yeah. But it would be so unbelievably small a difference, you'd never know. But technically, yes. So, feel free to bore people with that fact at any point you choose. But that effect extends into other areas. One of the products of space-time, the combination of the two that Einstein thought up in his theory of general relativity, but it's that gravity also influences how time passes. So when we're all down here on Earth, time is passing at a rate that isn't the same for some astronauts up on the space station. About five years ago, an astronaut named Scott Kelly spent a full year at the International Space Station. Part of that trip was to examine the effects of being in space that long, but also it was to compare Scott to his twin brother Mark when he arrived home. And the results of that experiment showed that the fact that Scott spent a year in orbit, floating around the Earth at over 17,000 miles per hour, meant that upon his return, Scott Kelly was five milliseconds older than his twin brother before he left. Now again, that's really not a lot, especially after a whole year, but this principle, again, thanks to Einstein for figuring it all out, but you can carry this further, and here is where we can actually get into some whoa dude kind of stuff with a little bit of a thought experiment. Theoretically speaking, because of the limits to human capabilities and all that stuff, but if you could build a spaceship that could travel the speed of light, or to be a technical nerd again, it would have to go 99.99% the speed of light, because laws of physics, etc., etc. But if you could, you would then be able to fly around at that speed, and time, for you, would slow to almost a complete halt. Meaning, if you flew around the Earth at that speed for about a year, your time, that is, you'd slow down and return to the surface of the Earth to find out that decades had passed here. Your time moved slow, while it carried on normally for everybody else. And the closer you get to the speed of light, the more this effect occurs. This is what's called time dilation. And when people think about traveling through the stars from planet to planet, like some, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars type stuff, the reality is that each jump through space-time would throw people's calendars way off. If we go travel the speed of light to other planets, those trips would really be kind of one way in a sense. Because 10 years traveling at the speed of light to go to another planet, let's say, would result in decades passing back home. 
if you flew light years away and then came back later, there's a chance that the whole world has changed, that everyone you know is gone by then. It's actually pretty sad in a sense. It also does kind of ruin a lot of sci-fi stories. Sorry. But also, it is crazy because, again, time is flexible. And it really is wild to think that you could fly out into space and come back and your kids would be older than you. Or if he, say, had an incurable disease, he could whiz around space and come back and check and see if there's any cures or treatments yet. And if not, then off you go again. Now, again, that's all theoretical, of course, since we can't travel anywhere near the speed of light. But it does kind of open your mind a little bit to imagine the fact that time can change in these ways. So, then, after all that information, what is time? Well, from what we've gathered here, time appears to be the linear and irreversible motion and change of the physical space of the world around us, from past to now and into an unknowable future. Time is linked to space and the speed of objects. I mean, objectively, yes, we literally use time to mark the passage of our routines as well. A day is 24 hours. A year is 365 days, except when there's that extra day. We use time to mark out everything in our lives, just about. So it has literal uses and more abstract ones. One of the things that I think I've come to understand about time, I can sum up with a quote that I found while I was researching, and it reads as follows, quote, our present does not extend throughout the universe. It's like a bubble around us, end quote. And that's really true. I mean, if we travel through space and at the speed of light, time would change for us. When we look up at the stars at night, we aren't seeing them as they are now. We're seeing what they looked like hundreds or thousands or even millions of years ago, as it takes the light that long to get to us. So our now is really just that, our now. And our now only stretches so far. It's all relative. Jeez, I think that Einstein guy was onto something. So as we get close to the middle of the episode here now, I guess, to me at least at this point, the answer to what is time is, well, not really 100% knowable. It's got all these elements and associated principles that go with it, these theories and all these complex physical concepts that I couldn't possibly understand unless I spent decades learning them which, well, it's probably not going to happen. So what is time at its most basic elemental level in our lives? It really is that. It's our present experience and the accumulation of our past. That's kind of the best it can be for us. Yes, it does have all these layers, but if I'm giving you a simple answer, which, you know, geez, in this show, I feel like I have to, I'd say it's that. I'd say it's just the linear experience of the change in our lives. Hmm. Does that sound good? I don't know. Sometimes I think I'm smarter than I am. Well, I often think I'm smarter than I am. But anyways, so, time has all these qualities that shift and change. But what about our experience of it specifically? And what about the role that time plays in our world? None of us are going to be embarking on some speed of light space travel anytime soon. So what about the personal experience of time that we all have? Something that feels much more relevant to all of us here, right? We're going to dive into time's role in our lives and the experiences we have with it in the second half of the episode coming right up. So kick back, let some of this crazy information sink in. We've got a couple of messages from some fellow independent podcasters. We'll be back in a few minutes. Careful not to travel at the speed of light or you might miss the second half. Oh, geez. Sort of Goods will be right back.
Do you read books? Do you live by small bodies of water surrounded by trees and other wildlife? Is that geese shit? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you have found a home here at the Brook Reading Podcast. Each week, I read a book while nestled in my small New Jersey apartment and gaze out the window at a brook. Then I jump online, talk about it, ask for your opinions, and bitch about something for approximately five minutes. If you would like to join this madness, check out the Brook Reading Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or on the Radio Public app. Let's step into some animal feces together. Hi, this is Mouse. And Weens. And we are two sisters with the Mouse and Weens podcast. Nice and clear. <laughs> Come take a listen. It's fun. We talk about life, love, and pubic hair. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> and all sorts of fun family memories and stuff. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> We're on all the platforms. And we hope you take a listen. Bye. Bye. Suck it. That makes me slightly religious too. That, <laughs> oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Jesus! Are you kidding me? The crippling social anxiety from having to talk on a phone. You realize we were in a guy's like house under a bridge, right? Oh, she's, like, you, she's like, she's like, what are you talking about? Like, cause it ain't sexy, bro. It ain't make sexy, it sexy to talk about build sexy bridges. And kind of came to the realization that like I would much prefer if children weren't allowed to go to theme parks. This is just a small taste of the randomness that is the fucking A podcast. Drop in on the weekly conversation between Dan and Matt, two longtime best friends as they navigate and laugh at their own lives and the world around us all. New episodes every Thursday, available wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Alright, welcome back to Assorted Goods. We're diving into the concept of time here on this episode, and let's get right back to it by thinking about how much time dictates our day-to-day lives. How often do you check your watch? Or, well, let's be honest, check the time on your phone. Or, how often do you pull up your calendar to make sure you know when something is, or to simply remember what day it is? How much does time play a role in your day-to-day? Wake up at a certain time. Gotta leave your house by a certain time. It takes this much time to get from here to there. You'll be there for this many hours. You're expected to get something done by this time. To be home by this time. The train comes at this time. What time is it? What time is the party at? What time is the game on? Are we going to have time for that? Can't do that. I've got no time. I only want a nap for about an hour. Get an insurance quote in 15 minutes. One hour oil changes. Pizza in 30 minutes or it's free. Or what about the fastest download speeds? Zero to 60 in four seconds. They ran the 100 meters in under 10 seconds. He hit the game winning shot with no time on the clock. Think about the endless list of things in our lives that have to do with time. Or with, well, speed in relation to time. Which as in the first half we learned was pretty important as well. At the start of the episode... I said that we often never think about time because it's so elemental to our experience in life, but really, we think about it almost endlessly. It's a part of just about everything we do. Maybe there's just so much to keep track of when it comes to time that thinking about time itself is, well, there's no time for that. So, has time always played this big of a role in our lives? Have we Always been clock-watching, counting the minutes, measuring our days into segmented blocks? Well, as it turns out, for thousands of years, humans have been trying to measure out time and keep track of days. Calendars 
or things that resemble calendars, have been discovered as far back as 8,000 BCE in hunter-gatherer societies. Evidence of people keeping track of the days with simple markings have also been found even as far back as tribes from 20,000 years ago. It's crazy. More calendars have been found across different early civilizations. Ancient Sumerian societies had a calendar that divided the year into 30-day months. Man, they were pretty ahead of their time. Again, sorry, no time puns, I know. The ancient Egyptians used calendars as far back as 3000 BCE as well. And whatever method used to track time and days, a lot of it was usually linked to natural events, the most obvious being the cycles of the moon, which are the basis for most tracking of months in human history. But also, rising water levels by rivers, seasonal weather patterns, and crop patterns. Humans have always looked to track time based on seeing patterns in the events of the world around them. I mean, how else were they supposed to tell time way back then, right? And are we really so different now? I mean, fall rolls around and it's pumpkin spice season, and Halloween, and Thanksgiving, and Christmas, and New Year's. We have set measurements, sure, and calendars are pretty useful, but we still find these different ways of marking the cycles of the year. Except now, instead of natural events, we mark all sorts of holidays or cultural events, it seems like. Now, not only have we been tracking days and months for thousands of years, there are also examples of different forms of clocks over the centuries. For example, water clocks with mechanisms to maintain a slow drip, candle clocks, which are, well, basically just candles with markings on them, and then there's, of course, sundials, a real throwback classic. We've been trying to track time forever. Apparently, people have been thinking about time for a long, uh, oh God, well, a long time. Maybe we just don't think about time so much now because we're surrounded with clocks everywhere and everything is now run on schedules. Maybe we're so overwhelmed with the concept of keeping time that we don't ever have the time to think about time. Oh, all right, that's a bit of a time overload there for a second. But let me jump ahead a bit and let's think about something here. When exactly did time and clocks begin to dominate our lives the way they seem to now? Because although humans have been trying to figure out ways to track time forever, the dominant presence it has in our lives has got to be a little more recent. I mean, sure, people had to pay attention to the passage of days and months for purposes of their livelihoods. You know, crops and livestock and avoiding extreme weather patterns or rising river levels, for example. But the shift to more meticulously micromanaged time, well, that's got to be more recent. So what I found was this. Over a thousand years ago, churches started ringing bells to call people to prayer. And the regularity of these bells, something that you've likely still heard even out in the world today. Actually, in fact, as I was writing this, there was a church bell ringing off in the distance here on a Sunday morning. But anyways, the regularity of those bells inspired a shift away from relying on the telling of time by natural means, like the weather patterns or the moon. When clocks began to be used more regularly around the 13th century, it freed people from the problems with sundials, which are often hindered by troublesome clouds, or water clocks, which could be influenced by cold temperatures, freezing things. Suddenly, the days could actually be tracked hour to hour, and the ringing of bells marked the time clearly for people so they didn't have to go check some problematic timekeeping contraption. Once clocks allowed time to be clearly marked and tracked, this is when, apparently, Society formed more around time. Since time could be tracked, it could be accounted for. 
aspects of life could be scheduled accordingly, more precisely. An article I found cited a historian and a philosopher by the name of Lewis Mumford, who wrote a book in the 1930s where he argued that the widespread use of the clock is what changed so much of the world, even more than industrial advancements did, in his opinion. Mumford stated this about the use of clocks and bell towers, quote, The regular striking of bells brought a new regularity into the life of the workman and the merchant. The bells of the clock tower almost defined urban experience. Time-keeping passed into time-serving, and time-accounting, and time-rationing, end quote. And there's more, because I really like where Mumford goes with this, but just as a quick side note here, the idea that urban life is much more dictated by clocks makes sense. I mean, when you talk to people who live in more rural areas, they tend to be less obsessed with time and keeping on schedules like that. But if you've grown up in a city like I did, almost everything is scheduled, train schedules and bus schedules and all that. It just seems to sort of make sense and really hasn't changed even now in this modern world. But anyways, let me get back to Mumford here and what he wrote about time, because he's got some good quotes. So just follow along with me here for a minute. Quote, The effect of the mechanical clock is more pervasive and strict. It presides over the day from the hour of rising to the hour of rest. When one thinks of the day as an abstract span of time, one does not go to bed with the chickens on a winter's night. One invents wicks, chimneys, lamps, gaslights, electric lamps, so as to use all hours belonging to the day. Abstract time became the new medium of existence. Organic functions themselves were regulated by it. One ate, not upon feeling hungry, but when prompted by the clock. One slept, not when one was tired, but when the clock sanctioned it. End quote. So much of what Mumford says there still rings true, and to me really does align perfectly with what modern life is to so many of us. I remember when I was in college, I took this American history class, and one time we did this lecture on the invention of baseball. And the professor I had said something that's actually stuck with me over the years, that baseball became so popular in the late 1800s because, as the Industrial Revolution was booming businesses all over, revolutionizing cities and manufacturing industries, everything was being regulated by time. Factories began running day and night. Once with the invention of electricity and electric lighting, they were able to run shifts all day, regulated by timed shift work. And along came this game that didn't keep time. There were no clocks involved. Baseball became this escape back to the natural, free-flowing, timeless world that humans had spent centuries living in. But what Lewis Mumford was saying feels familiar to us now, doesn't it? Think about what I was saying here at the start of the second half of the episode. Just how much of our lives is now up to time and timing. How often we are watching the clock. We eat our meals around set times. Oh, it's 6 p.m., time for dinner. And our jobs, be in at this time, stay for this long, leave at this time, get paid accordingly based on the number of hours and minutes you've worked. Go to sleep at this time and get this many hours of sleep which is scientifically proven to be the correct number of hours of sleep in order to be optimally rested in order to be as productive as you can for those designated work hours you have the next day. Whew. It's all time and baby. Now, once we were able to track time and break it down, we micromanaged it and shaped our society accordingly. Maybe in a way, tracking time was the beginning of the data-analyzed, accounting, optimization, synergistic, industrial, corporate world we have now, where everything can be boiled down to some sort of analytics. Think about this. 
An Amazon warehouse worker is expected to complete a package and scan it within, say, 15 seconds or so, because that is the amount of time that has been optimized by the algorithms to ensure maximum output and productivity in order for customers to get their packages in the shortest amount of time. Yeah, really is everything, man. Time is such a dominant piece of our lives. When we started this episode, it was kind of an abstract thought. Again, a bit of a stoner, whoa, dude kind of thought. But at this point of the episode and of the research I've been doing here, I've come through to another thought. Are we really trapped by our tracking of time? When we segment and schedule and constantly worry about the clock, are we worrying more about the passage of time than what we're doing with the time we have? I guess there's not really an answer to that one. I'll just leave it up to you to think about it, I guess. But let's go ahead and get back to another piece from way back at the beginning of the episode. And that's the fact that although, yes, we do live in a time-kept world where everything is broken down to the second, but we know that being alive, living our lives in a day-to-day -day setting, nothing ever seems to pass by at a constant rate. When I'm researching and writing an episode, sometimes I feel like I'm crushing it, typing word after word, I'm getting so much done, and oh man, I'm on fire today, and then, shit, a few more hours have passed than I thought, but, but I thought I, uh, how did that happen? How was it? already this hour. For a moment, things were moving slow, and then suddenly, a bunch of time has passed by. How often does this kind of thing happen to you? Like, you think you've got tons of time, and then suddenly, you're staring down the barrel of the gun to meet a deadline, or to make it somewhere on time. If everything is so simply tracked these days, then why the hell does time continue to seemingly pass at random ways, however it pleases? This is one of the parts of this topic I really wanted to get into, because it's one of the things I've been most curious about. And since we've already covered the fact that time can, in fact, speed up and slow down based on principles of physics and general relativity and all that complex scientific mumbo-jumbo, what about the way things feel through our own eyes, our own experience? I'm reaching the end of my 20s. Oh, no! But now I am starting to notice that speeding up effect of life. My dad always used to say that it all goes quicker the older you get, and you really can't believe someone older than you until you start to experience it. But turns out he was right. He often is. But how does this all work? If we know that time can change throughout the universe, and depending on different states of speed and gravity, then there's got to be some explanation for the differences in how we experience time in our own lives. So let's start with what we just touched on, the differences as you age. Why do days and weeks seem to be so slow when you're a kid, but they blow by faster as you get older? To me, I've always assumed that it has to do with the routines of life. As we get older, we settle into responsibility and a routine work schedule. Days just kind of start to fly by. I imagine that's even more so the case when you have a family and the more routines get added in. These would all be things, by the way, that are scheduled, time-specific, up at a certain time, get the kids ready for school by a certain time, leave for work at a certain time, and on and on and on. And yeah, you get the point. I would guess that the more routines you have, the more time just blurs away. Jeez, talk about an optimistic viewpoint on the subject. <laughs> but let's actually dive into some of the theories behind these concepts, too. And I have to say, much like the nature of time itself, and really, most of the things we're talking about in this episode here today, but there's not a concrete, widely accepted answer as to why time feels different to us in different circumstances. 
to be honest, I'm giving you mostly half answers here today. But hey, you know what? That's science's fault. They haven't figured it out yet. Don't blame me. Anyways, once again, there's various ideas and suggestions as to why things are this way for us. So then let's hear some of those ideas. First, why does time seem to feel like it's passing at different speeds throughout our day-to-day lives? Now, in the first half of the episode, so much of what we talked about strayed into the worlds of physics, whereas what we're talking about here is actually going to dabble more so into the world of neuroscience, another area of expertise for me. Experiencing the passage of time in different ways is actually quite common, and it also has to do with what kind of person you are. One study conducted by psychologist Mark Whitman sat people in a room for seven and a half minutes and just made them wait, and then asked them how long it felt like they were waiting for. Some of them said that it was as low as just a couple of minutes. Others felt like it was upwards of 20 minutes. The key factor that seemed to determine who felt what? Well, that was each participant's level of impulsiveness. Basically, if someone is more impatient, waiting makes their sense of time expand or dilate, as we talked about in the first half. But there's more to that as well. And another side note here, but neuroscience has yet to actually figure out exactly how our brains process or keep track of time. It's still one of those relative unknowns of the brain. Geez, do you love how many I don't knows we're coming across this episode? Anyways, studies have shown, though, that when someone's brain is scanned while being asked to judge the passage of a short period of time, that a part of the brain called the insular cortex is more active. Now, this is the part of the brain that is responsible for coordinating brain signals and for allowing us to have a sense of self. So the science seems to indicate that focusing more on time passing, or let's say just being bored, allows us to be more aware of our own self in space and therefore time. So paying attention to time's passage, even if you're not really watching it, will slow it down since we can focus our mental energy on that boring tick, 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 tick passage of time in our own sort of internal clocks. Now, on the other hand, we all know the saying that, quote, time flies when you're having fun is actually true. We all have experienced that in some sense. Just about all of us have gone through some sort of moment where we're enjoying ourselves and then bam, it's gone. And it sucks. Now, the reason this happens is actually the opposite of what we just touched on a moment ago. Since if we're having fun or we're engaged in an activity, the theory is is that our mental energy is now focused on whatever we're up to, thus removing any focus on our sense of self in time and space and any sense we had of time passing. Now, this actually kind of reminds me of one of the points we were talking about in the first half, how time and space have their limits. Like if you speed up more and more, closer to the speed of light, time starts to slow down in order to stay within the laws of physics, right? There's that sort of maximum allotment that can only go in one spot or the other. Our sense of time passing seems to work in a similar way. There's only so much mental energy we have to expend. And as we invest more of it into something we're doing, we have less to dedicate into our own sense of time's passage. Does that make sense? Here's another example. You're at work. Today is really slow. Not much to do. Not much going on. You know these days. How do they feel? They drag on, right? You're not doing anything, so you're stuck sensing those minutes pass by, tick, 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 real slow. But if it's a busy day, well then, now all of a sudden you've got too much to do, suddenly too little time. Your brain power has a place to be, focused on all the tasks you got to get done, and then suddenly the day starts flying by. Here's another one to think about. 
You ever been in a dangerous situation or, you know, a situation of very high stress? Doesn't time seem to slow down in those situations too? Which seems weird, right? I mean, we just said here that when you're more engaged in things, time seems to speed up. And yet, in those high-stress situations, well, you certainly aren't taking it easy. But time then seems to slow down. People who are in accidents often say that things seem to slow down in the moment. Although, you do also hear people say in those situations that, quote, things happen so fast. Once again, it's a bit of a trip, man. Again, think back to the early days of the pandemic when the whole world seemed uncertain and the days dragged on. Same thing. Most people were running around, figuring things out, buying all the damn toilet paper they could find. And instead of all this chaos making the days speed up, the days seemed to drag on forever. Well, that's because of another neurological trick our brains like to play. Turns out, when we get into high-stress situations, our amygdalas part of the brain that plays a central role in the formation of memory, well, they kick into high gear and start creating more memories in these high-stress situations. A study was done where participants free-fell over 100 feet into a net. It was safer than it sounds, apparently. But while the participants were falling, they had a device on their wrists that would flash numbers at a speed too fast to notice in real time. And now the researchers were hoping to see if people really did experience a slowdown of time. Except... They didn't. Participants did estimate the fall to be about one-third longer than what it really was, but they couldn't recognize any of the fast-moving numbers. So the conclusion of the experiment? The time doesn't actually slow down for people in these moments, but that the stress of the situation causes the amygdala to ramp things up and create more finite moment-to-moment -moment memories, which then, when people look back on what just happened, it feels like it all happened in slower time, since their brains remember what happened in much more detail. Much like the concept of time itself in the first half of the episode, the perception of time in our lives is related to just that, the perception of the situation at hand. And that leads us to the last area of time's passage that I really wanted to get to this episode. And that's, why does time's passage seem to speed up as we get older? And let me just reiterate again here that there's not a widely accepted concrete answer to this, but there are theories as to how this all works and debates over how the brain processes time as we get older. Now, one idea about all this is based on memory. Much like how our brains kick our memory banks into high gear when situations become stressful, one suggestion as to why life seems to speed up as we get older is that our memories simply aren't as active anymore. While we're young, those long car rides, the summer vacations, every painstaking moment of growing up seems to be much longer because so much more of our lives are remarkable and memorable. We're learning so much about the world and ourselves day after day, all the time. The experiences we have, they're all new and noteworthy. So our brains, they're highly active in taking it all in and processing the information. But when we're older, you know, we've settled into our routines. Our experiences are less notable. They're less new. Our brains seem to mostly regard life experience as meh, seen it, done it, whatever. And so our sense of how much time has passed seems, well, different. I'm noticing this change in my sense of time as I approach 30. But in the day-to-day, -day, things seem the same as normal. Time still feels like it's passing the same as it ever was in the moment. It's only when I look back and I think, oh shit, it's already November? That's when it seems like it's blown by. 
likely because my experience of the present feels the same. But now my past, my more recent past especially, seem to be a blur because my brain is letting more of these, you know, useless memories kind of slip away because, well, they simply aren't noteworthy. Another theory here is in regards to the basic speed at which our brains process information. A professor at Duke University by the name of Adrian Bijan suggests that the reason why our lives seem so much slower and longer when we are young is that our brains, and the neurons in them, process information much faster. We experience each moment in much more detail as a result, creating more memories and making each moment seem to be much more in-depth. It's a similar idea, really, but it incorporates this extra element of the age of our brains, and the wear and tear on them, and the ability to process better when we're young as opposed to when we're older. Bijan argues that as we age, the complexity of our thoughts, the coordination of our neural signals, and pretty much just the amount of time it takes to get things going up there in our noodles just all takes longer, and our brains get a little bit slower and more bogged down by the process, which is what causes us to process memories, and therefore time, much slower than compared to when we were young. These two theories really do seem similar because they relate time, once again, to perspective. And it got me wondering, if you were in a coma from like the time you were, say, 10 until you were 30, I don't even know if that's a possibility, but bear with me for the thought experiment. But when you woke up, would every experience be so remarkable and new that time would begin passing for you like you were a kid still, even though you were much older? I know it's not exactly a theory that can be tested, I guess, but... How would any of us actually know the answer in the experience unless we actually were that person, right? Everybody's experience of time is pretty much up to them. The way you see your day-to-day -day or the way it feels to you is likely different than the person right next to you, or me, or anybody, really. It's really in the eyes of the beholder, I suppose. But anyways, one conclusion I drew from all this is that it doesn't appear that time is actually speeding up on us as we age, but that our lives, our memory formation... And really just the noteworthiness of everything we do seem to play a role in how our brains frame the amount of time passing in our minds. It kind of is all in our heads. So then, how can we make time slow down a little bit? You know, savor the moments a little more. Well, some suggestions include making sure you take a few minutes to breathe and center yourself if you are feeling overwhelmed or stress. <sighs> breathe in. Breathe out. There's your little assorted goods meditation moment. But, you know, also maybe people who take smoke breaks are on to something with what they do. You know, get away from it all and take a minute just to stand and do something. Even though that, you know, has side effects for different reasons. But meditation is also a great way to focus the mind inwards. Which, as we mentioned before, is how we get our minds to really slow the passage of time. Taking a little time to yourself is always a good way to pump the brakes a bit. Live off the clock when you can. Just enjoy some moments for what they are. Try not to reach for that phone over and over. A lesson I need maybe more than most people. But more than that, I don't know about you, but the last couple areas we've touched on make me think that it's important to make the most out of life. I know, kind of obvious and cliche, but you got to get out and experience new things, participate in the world, and give your brain a reason to actually pay attention and kick into gear. Otherwise, our memories will just go, eh, you're boring, dude. Wake me up when you aren't just running through the routines. Jeez. Look, back when I started thinking about the topic of time, I admit, it really did start out as a bit of a half-baked idea. Yeah, I wanted to know the crazy, big, scientific concepts, 
one of my favorite ideas was that idea of time dilation, you know, traveling in space and almost traveling through time based on gravity's effect and all that good stuff. It was really always one of the craziest ideas I had heard in science. But getting into everything we touched on here in the second half, too, it's been a bit of a thought-provoking episode to write. You know, I've always been an introverted person. I'd rather stay in and chill than go out and do, well, most things, really. But one of the things that's been tough for me, at least during this pandemic, and I know my problems are really small potatoes compared to bigger problems that others have, but right around when all this started, I was really starting to get better at going out into the world, trying new things on my own, not feeling that embarrassment that seems to creep in when an introverted person tries to get out and interact with the world. To be honest, I kind of had this experience myself, where I started to feel like my days and my weeks and my months were blurring away into a simple blend of routine. So I wanted to get out more and do more things. And I started to get better at it. I'd gone to yoga classes on my own, something I had never done. I was trying something new. I did a lot of research and writing for this show by hitting up a little bar around the corner and having a pint of beer and focusing on some writing, all alone. Again, something I never would have done in years past. My point being, this pandemic has for sure warped our senses of time, because it's created stress in some moments, pure boredom in others, and also because it's reduced our ability to create remarkable moments in our lives that our brains will try to keep locked in. We don't have the chances to get out and try new things right now. And that sucks. And it's something I know many of us have felt. I mean, we live in this day and age where so many people pull out their phones and take snapshots of, like, everything they do. However unremarkable those moments may actually be. We're artificially creating these memories and storing them somewhere online. But our brains aren't going to process the passage of time in our lives any differently unless the situations we put ourselves in are worthy of kicking our brains into gear. So I guess I'm saying that, to use a classic cliche, but variety is the spice of life. It also seems to be what makes our life rich and full and feel longer in our memories because that's how we process things, it turns out. I mean, yes, I know those are theories, but all the theories seem to relatively come back to the same concept. Whether it's because our neural signals decay or because they're just bored with us, being more open to the world and doing more with the time we have while we're alive, that seems to be pretty key in living what many would consider to be a full life. And our brains seem to agree with it. So what do we learn here this episode? Well, we learned that time is a driving force not only in our own lives, but it's the basis of just about everything that goes on everywhere in the world. We've gotten an idea of how time works, its relation to space and speed and gravity, and the limits those all have when they're combined. We figured out that time isn't actually constant, that it can bend and change slow down and speed up depending on the situation. And we figured out that the way our own brains process the passage of time relates to memory, and in a way, how we live our lives. So what is time in the end? Well, to me, after all this, time is simply the most valuable resource we have. It's the currency we can't exchange, or earn back, or create out of thin air. It simply is what it is. Moving in different ways, sure, but always moving forward. So as we work our way through a global pandemic, shifting from feeling like we're watching every painstaking second pass by and feeling like the days are gone in a blink, we get a sense now of the importance of making our time count 
because, as we are all now aware, we never know when things could change drastically. So I guess I'm just making a classic point here, but what we do with our time in life is important. Time just keeps pushing on, and none of us get as much of it as we would all like, but we can choose what to do with the time we get. And those choices, as we've learned here, can mean a lot. So, here's to making the most of our time in life while we have it. Okay, that's all for this episode of Assorted Goods. I want to thank you all for coming along for this crazy, weird topic today. I hope you've learned something new, or I got the gears spinning in your head a bit. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Really, I'm genuinely curious to know what people think. And the information therein, was it effective? Really, any comments, questions, concerns, I hope you'll share them. You can email me at talkbox at assortedgoodspod.com or you can find the podcast on Twitter at assortedgoodspc or on Instagram at assortedgoodspod where you can get in touch with me or just follow along and keep up with the show and with me. Oh boy, exciting. You can also reach me through the contact page on assortedgoodspod.com the pod's website where you could find all the sources used to write the episodes. You can find all past episodes there as well and some extra bits and pieces I find out in the interwebs and also some podcast news related to the show. Check out all that good stuff. And as always, I simply ask if you like assorted goods, tell a friend about the show, let them know where to find it. Growing the show is all I'm interested in right now. And you can support the podcast by leaving it a rating or a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or whatever app you use to listen. Every little bit of support helps, and I really mean it. It's greatly appreciated. And finally, all credit for the information used to write these episodes go to the countless journalists, academics, writers, researchers, editors, producers everywhere who put together great content out there and allow me to spend hours reading and writing episodes off of it. Without all these people doing great work and sharing information with the world, this show wouldn't be remotely possible. So please, Consider supporting local journalism and any quality content wherever you find it out there in the world. All right. Thank you again for listening. All the best. Stay safe out there, folks. I appreciate you. And I'll see you next time here on Assorted Goods. is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness.